everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, co-hosted by me, Holly Hughes, and Olivia Doyle with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory agency of the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk and Katrina Dickens, a biological scientist in the Methods and Biological Control Bureau. Katrina oversees the division's 3D printing lab. Her and her team are responsible for designing and printing innovative traps for the Asian citrus psyllid and giant African land snail. Katrina walks us through the process of printing as well as shares about some exciting collaborations they are working on. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the Director's Desk with Trevor Smith. Well, happy August, DPI. This is Trevor Smith. And as promised last month, I was going to update everybody on uh, the National Plant Board meeting in Montana. And uh, Greg, Brian, and myself just got back uh, last week from that meeting. It was great to be somewhere where it was 70 degrees during the day and 45 degrees at night. I wish I could have brought some of that back. Honestly, we didn't see a whole lot of Montana. Most of the time we saw the inside of meeting rooms at the Garden Inn. But it was a very productive meeting. Um, some of the things that might be significant to, to the folks out there at DPI, especially our plant inspectors, is we've been pushing for the last several months and almost a year now to deregulate the guava root knot nematode. This is a nematode that was found in Louisiana uh, last year and in Mississippi. We suspect it's been there for years and years. We found it in Florida almost 20 years ago. And it, it is a pest of sweet potatoes, which is a huge concern in the Carolinas and in the South in general. That's a big crop, even though it's not for Florida. Uh, but we, we had fairly conclusive proof from Florida this really wasn't a pest. But unfortunately, we were quarantined by several different states, not just potatoes and sweet potatoes, but also uh, our nursery stock. So we pushed back and we've been pushing back. And luckily, through all of that hard work, it looks like the USDA is going to go ahead and deregulate that nematode. So uh, all of the plant inspectors out there that have been dealing with that for the last couple of months, uh, you can cheer now. Uh, This one's going to be off the books, and hopefully we'll be able to get on with our lives um, and, and not have to deal with this one again. But the good thing is the system worked. We met with the National Plant Board at the Southern Plant Board meeting uh, earlier in the year. We hit this subject really hard. We got back together now at the National Plant Board, and through all of uh, all the scientific work that was done, it was determined that this thing really isn't the pest that some people thought it was. So that was a good outcome from the meeting. There's also some discussion about light brown apple moth. California is looking to deregulate light brown apple moth. This is a pest for those of you that... Um, have been around for a little while. When it showed up in California, there was just mass panic. Everybody thought, this is we've got to eradicate this thing. It's going to hit apples and grapes and all kinds of different fruit trees and vegetables. 
And after a decade, it really didn't. Uh, it looked, it kind of fizzled. It really wasn't the issue we thought it, were, it was going to be. But tens of millions of dollars, oh, I think maybe $200 million all said and done, went into dealing with this pest. And we're finally at the point now where the USDA in California is looking to deregulate this. So we had a panel discussion, California taking the side of it should be deregulated. I was taking the side for Florida that maybe it shouldn't be deregulated. Even if it's not this terrible pest that they thought it was going to be, we still don't want it. Uh, we don't need another leaf roller in Florida, regardless of whether it's a, a commercial pest or not. Uh, but it was a good discussion, and it's a good example of where California and Florida are right now. Uh, just through a lot of joint projects, us working together, we really have a great relationship with them. We can disagree about things, get up on a panel in front of 200 people, and argue it out. But after the meeting, we can come back together and realize we still have to work together on other issues. So uh, it's a really productive uh, kind of area, a place for us to have those kind of discussions. And uh, that was a good, that was another good meeting. Other than that, I mean, there were seed issues that were discussed. Of course, hemp. Everybody was talking about hemp. And, um, and everybody's kind of in a similar boat as us. Nobody has enough funding. Uh, but everybody's got, somehow has to uh, implement this program. So that was a good discussion point. Uh, we sicked Brian Benson on that issue and had him <laughs> going around all over the meeting discussing this with other states. Uh, and had some really productive meetings on hemp. Um, and then one of the big issues that everybody's trying to come to terms with is Amazon and the way plant material is being moved around through Amazon, trying to track this plant material back to whatever nursery it came from. And for those of you that aren't aware, nursery stock is sent, can be sent to a broker, to a broker, to a broker, to Maryland, to New Jersey, to Colorado, to Arizona. Well, when you have a pest show up, so in somebody's, you know, in, in a garden center in Arizona, and you have to track it back through all of those different states. And when it goes through Amazon, they're not necessarily keeping the records from the first nursery. They might have the second distribution center or the third nursery as it moves through, but you don't have all of it. So doing trace backs are, is, it's really, really difficult. And it's just blowing up that whole part of Amazon and uh, online shopping with plant material is just exploding right now. And I don't know that we came to any, we don't have any answers yet, but we have a whole bunch of different committees kind of working with the USDA to see how do we actually do this? How do you track this all the way through from beginning all the way to where the product ends up? Um, so that was a big part of the meeting as well. That pretty much covers it. Uh, we, I mean, there was a whole, uh, this was five days of meetings, um, but uh, those were some of the bigger issues and, and the ones I wanted to share with you. Of course, as soon as I got back, I had to jump on my performance evaluations because they are due in the next couple of days at the end of this month. And I know it's tough, supervisors, I know every year uh, it's tough to get those performance evaluations in and I know the system's not perfect. I think we all agree that this is not a perfect scenario but it is the one that goes on the books officially those are the performance evaluations that goes into that employee's record so it's important to do it but i think i'm safe in saying if you're talking about issues during an employee's performance evaluation and that's the first time they're hearing about it you've already messed up 
you should be meeting throughout the year, dealing with those issues both ways, um, both the expectations of your direct reports, your employees to you, and then you to the employees. Uh, that should be a constant conversation you're having all year. But uh, it's one of those things, again, I just wanted to mention it because I know, again, it's not a perfect system. I don't know of a perfect system. Trying to take uh, 365 days of someone's performance at somewhere like DPI, where literally minute to minute to minute things change, and trying to capture all that into one performance evaluation with five questions, it's just, it's very difficult, but it's a necessary thing and it's important. So, so this month, I hadn't really talked about it in the last, you know, eight different podcasts a whole lot, and that's biological control. And that's something I hit on at the National Plant Board meeting as well. We are one of the few organizations on, on earth that can go from the first find, we actually have employees out that find a new pest, we identify the new pest. We put regulations in place to stop it or to eradicate it. If we can eradicate it, we have to come up with control measures, working with the University of Florida, or we have to look at a long-term strategy like biological control. And we do all of that, including all of the biological control aspect of that. So we will travel to a foreign nation where that pest came from. We will find the beneficials. We'll bring them back to our quarantine. We'll do the non-target testing, we will apply to the USDA to release. We will release, and then we will convert all of our facilities to mass rearing and distribute it throughout the United States. We do all of that. And a good example of that is the Asian citrus psyllid, uh, parasitoid tamarixia. It was actually DPI back in 1998. We found ACP, so that was our first find. It was the first in the nation. Then we paired up, teamed up with a professor over at the University of Florida. We traveled to China, Vietnam, and Pakistan, and we collected parasitoids in each of those places. We brought them back to our quarantine, and then we did all that non-target testing that I talked about uh, to make sure that these parasitoids wouldn't hit other organisms. After several years of testing, we then petitioned for release. We went to mass rearing. We built an entire facility down in Dundee, Florida, where we do nothing but mass rear Asian citrus psyllids and the tamarixia, and then we established it throughout the state. Then we provided Texas and California with the parasitoids so that they could establish them uh, in their states. So it's kind of a cool, it's an, it's, it's an amazing thing to think that within this one division, this one organization, we can take something from the first find all the way through to 10, 12, 15 years later, establishing natural enemies uh, to combat these things and then share it with the rest of the world. I think uh, we also shared these with Puerto Rico. It wasn't just Texas and California. So those are that's one of the, the ones that we've seen all the way through from beginning to end. Others, uh, like cactus moth biological control, that's one we've been involved in quite a bit over the years. Uh, we actually tried SIT with that, uh, sterile insect technique. Uh, but that was never really going to work. Uh, we didn't, it, it's a very different concept than using SIT to control fruit flies. And eventually we moved on to biological control and now we have our scientists going down to Argentina, collecting natural enemies, bringing them back and going through the whole process in quarantine. And we're close, we're very, very close right now to be able to release a parasitoid uh, to combat cactus moth. And that's just been 
persistent effort for years and years looking for anything that would work. SIT didn't work, so we moved on to the next thing, biological control. So that's an ongoing uh, biological control program, but that's getting ready to go to mass rearing. I don't see any problem or any issue with this being approved by the USDA for release. I think it clearly only hits cactus moth. This, this wasp only hits cactus moth. And uh, I anticipate we're going to be moving, shifting from testing in the lab to mass rearing for that parasitoid here shortly. And then one of the newest ones coming on right now is Brazilian pepper tree. So we're going to have, there's two natural enemies that the USDA and the University of Florida have been testing and quarantined for the last few years. Uh, there, there's been a petition to release both. It's been granted. So uh, in the next couple of years, we're going to start bringing in those, par they're not parasitoids, they're actually, one of them is a psyllid that feeds on the Brazilian pepper tree. The other is a thrips. We're going to be bringing both of them in, mass rearing them, and releasing them all over the state. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Brazilian pepper tree, this is one of the most noxious weeds the, the state of Florida has ever seen. I mean, it just, the entire coastline of Florida has just been consumed by this plant. And anything we can do to, um, to affect that particular weed, I think it's got great, not just great potential uh, for success, but also this is a good chance for the public to actually see you don't see a little tiny psyllid being parasitized by a little tiny wasp. That's just, it's something that's happening out there, but it's not so visible. This is gonna be one where a homeowner will be able to see this weed just being destroyed and slowly shrinking and disappearing. Uh, same goes for the air potato. That's been a very successful program. That's perfect because the beetle's pretty. It's a pretty red beetle. The vine is very obvious and you can see when the beetle does its job. Uh, I anticipate the Brazilian pepper tree program is going to be the same way. So those are just a few of the biological control programs that are going on out there. Uh, of course, within the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control, there's a lot more going on than just biological control, uh, but we'll be hearing a lot more about that from Katrina Dickens uh, about some of the different projects that, that that particular bureau is responsible for. And with that, I'm going to sign off until next month. Thanks. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it, and declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey, and remember, don't pack a pest. much for joining us for another episode of Plant Industry News. We are excited to have Katrina Dickens on the podcast with us today. Katrina, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, appear on an episode. Thank you so much. I feel honored. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about what you do or have done at the division because you've worked for DPI for a number of years and you kind of had some various roles. So give us a little brief background on yourself and some of your history. I got my undergrad in environmental science and then a minor in statistics. So that kind of helps in any scientific realm that you go in. And then I got my master's while I was employed here at DPI. I was still an OPS, but I was able to incorporate my work, some of my work with the giant African land snail and make it a, a master's program. So that was very amazing that I was able to do that and uh, get that opportunity and 
So yeah, I worked with, uh, at the Department of Entomology and Pneumatology. Uh, well, I've been working for the division for nine and a half years. So I started with a, as an OPS lab tech one um, in cactus moth rearing. Um, so we did the uh, sterile insect technique program. And then six months later, a position opened up with the technique and development section. And so I helped with the, the adult moth rearing side of things with the cactus moth program. And then in 2012, I was recommended for the giant African land snail program as a lab tech for there and rearing the colony of, of giant African land snails so we can, you know, better understand their biology and do molesco site testing and whatnot. And then in 2016, I became the GALS biological scientist. And then six months ago, I returned the, to the technique and development section as the biological scientist. So not a lot of people know what the technique and development section in the Methods Bureau is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but everyone in DPI knows that we have many new pests coming in to Florida each year. And so it's kind of my job to answer any of the questions that the division has of a new pesticide that comes onto the market or any new pests, I can do a literature review. Or um, we also just help other methods, uh, projects in, in our bureau that, that need assistance. Um, you know, sometimes they don't have the time to, to go in depth with answering like the experimental setup or to answer their questions. They're just kind of in thinking about mass production. So mm -hmm. we kind of have the time and the tools to, to answer those questions. A lot of innovation, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. That's exciting. And a lot of tinkering. <laughs> yeah. But that's fun. Yeah. And necessary for what we do and yeah. kind of staying on the cutting edge of technology and new practices and stuff like that. Yeah. That's really fun. So speaking of innovation, last time we were here, you got to show us around the 3D printing lab some, and that was really cool to see. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the 3D printing lab? Sure. Um, so... The, um, I'll start with the history. So Susan Halbert, our um, entomologist, she needed an Asian citrusella trap to collect Asian citrusillids passively in the field so that then they can use a bunch of Asian citrusillids to test them for citrus greening disease. So she thought a 3D printer was a great way to do that, to just kind of make a bunch of different models of different ideas to do because before they were kind of cutting cardboard and different plastic pieces and trying to hot glue them to them together and drilling and all this stuff different stuff but she really thought a 3d printer is the way to go um and so that's what they did and the, the program just grew and as it grew they bought more 3d printers and then it was transferred to methods because it became its own lab and she couldn't really um supervise all that so the 3d print lab develops traps and then we test their effect effectiveness on okay. the Asian citrus salad. So it's kind of part this, you know, innovation, technology, kind of thinking of whatever you can solution to come up with a trap. It can be any shape or form. And then it's this other side of bio of, you know, biology and testing and science really just to, to test and, and make sure everything's uh, working good and, and monitor, you know, observing the, the psyllid behavior. Mm -hmm. So is the 3D printing lab mainly for the Asian citrus psyllids, or do you make traps for other things as well? Mostly right now, that's our cooperative agreement. The main cooperative agreement we have is the Asian citrus psyllid, but we also make traps for the giant African land snail. And then we're, right now, we're also just starting to make bait stations for a fruit fly. That's okay. also an, another Methods Bureau project. 
So do you only work on DPI related projects or do we have collaborations with other agencies? Yeah, so the, the Asian Citrus Solid Project is a collaboration. It's a multi-state collaboration with Texas and, and mostly California. Okay. The California chemists are the one who, who are developing just this quick um, way to test for citrus screening in the field with a, it's basically it's this travel field uh, PCR machine. So you can just throw a bunch of psyllids in, about 10 psyllids, and then it'll come up with the positive or negative for it. So we make traps and send to those so, yeah. states? Right. Okay. And currently there's a new order for 300 traps, so we're going to wow. see what we can do. <laughs> How long is the process? Well, we're probably going to outsource that. We are probably not going to print 300 traps because that just, they're about three hours, three or four hours to wow, print, to print each trap. Wow. So that would just be too much time. And then, you know, every so often, you know, printers break and the more you use them, the yeah. more, the more the so complications us, come up. <laughs> walk us through a little bit of what the process entails. So like you said, you get this new order right. and then what happens? So, so we, well, I guess we already have that design. So I guess we, there's so many iterations of design for the Asian citrus salad that we kind of picked the most recent one that's doing the best, that's the most durable in the field, that, that people um, likely be able to use easily. Mm -hmm. So we choose the design, or if we didn't have that, you know, in this case we have that, and if we didn't have that, we would have to design it on the computer. Okay. Just like a drawing software that's three-dimensioned. And um, we do that in-house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have the, yeah, all our computers, so our three computers have the, the rhinoceros software. Okay. And then, um... Yeah, and then you save it on, well, I guess then you have to change the file a couple times. So you have to save it as a certain type of file, and then you have to change it to the zeros and ones so that the, the printer will understand it. So that goes through another program, and you save that, and you adjust the settings. So all the settings are made in there, like how hot the printer will get, so it melts the plastic at the, just the right temperature, sometimes too hot or too cold depending on the print, can make it a little better. So yeah, so then you save it in that program and then that gets saved onto an SD card, just like this, the small little SD cards. And then you, that goes straight into the printer and then you just select the file and hit print. And then because it already has all those programmed temperature settings, then that's what it will, will print as. And then that's a good way in that program is a good way to show like, okay, how long will this print? Um, how much fill space you can so if you have a solid it automatically like puts a bunch of plastic in the middle mm -hmm. and you can decide what percentage of plastic is in there so you can have a lot of plastic in the middle or you can have just a little plastic for, some for something structure. very simple just for a little structure to kind yeah. of fill in the empty space so that it won't be this super solid thing with a lot of plastic in the middle it takes a long time to print but if right. you can get away with filling it less then it takes um, quicker time that's really cool yeah and so, then you have to get it off the printer. And then with our ACP project, you we have to sand it in a certain way so that it's slippery in some surfaces and then other surfaces we kind of want to sand so that it's a little more grippy and we put this other plastic coating, rubberized coating on the outside so it's grippy. And then we put like polyurethane which is in, in Fluon, which is insect to slip. So it's slippery on the inside. Mm -hmm. So it's like they can crawl oh. up on the outside and then the inside of the funnel is slippery. So there's all this okay. like post production treatments that we go through and spray painting the stuff yellow and adding different plastic um, stuff that we don't 3D print onto the track. Why yellow? Share with our listeners 
what what about the color makes it yeah red. that's that's basically what we know about the Asian citrus is they like yellow so that's the standard is these yellow sticky cards um, we are working with collaborators on developing a volatile maybe there's something that like an attractant thing okay. that they put like they harness the citrus scent and okay. put it into our preservative and we're, we're testing that we tested that this this summer with pretty good results we haven't analyzed all the data yet though. So are you always looking for feedback in ways to improve from our inspectors or trappers yes. or who is giving yeah. you that kind of um, feedback for innovation purposes? I'd say number one is the bug. Like how many psyllids okay. did we catch? That's okay. the bottom line. But I love that backup question. And I that's one of my goals this year is to put the trap in as many people's hands as I can to get mm -hmm. that feedback of, hey, was this easy to get in and out of? You know, it, the just even putting the traps in the box and then putting it in the truck is like sometimes cumbersome and you got to kind of think about that. Like how can yeah. we put it in a box in the way and is it all packable? And I mean, even with this microphone that we're using now, it's kind of nice. You have this little suitcase and you can just pull it out. And yeah. Um, yeah, I would love that for our traps to yeah, be usable. <laughs> That's cool. So many different components to think about yeah. when it, you're trying to make a design and yes. troubleshooting what will work and what won't. So That's yeah. really interesting. Who are, so it's not just you that works in the lab, so uh, share with us some of the people that you work with and your designers and stuff like that that are involved with these different projects. Yeah, sure. James Snyder and Stephanie Dowling are my lab techs for the, the 3D print lab, so I'll, we kind of have a, you know, lab collaboration meeting and then we kind of, I'll put on our ideas to how to change the trap in a certain way if I have some ideas and I'll mostly give it to, to James since he's been the one to do all the designing so far on this for the Asian citrus cellar trap mm -hmm. he'll be the one to probably make the adjustments and add all the you know the different things we want to adjust to make it more durable more usable for people in the field and hopefully to catch more <laughs> Asian citrus yeah, or at least to not Right, as we're making it more adorable, we just don't want the efficacy to decrease. Right. Well, and the thing I, I would assume that a nice part about having um, a 3D printer with, relatively speaking, some inexpensive materials is that you can always alter design and print something one day yeah. just to test it, and we're not spending a lot of money on R&D right. for something that isn't going to work out in the end. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's what the best thing is. So a lot of plastics, all the plastics that we have, are most of them are mold injection. So the mold injection, you have to create this big metal. It's usually um, steel mold, and then they fill it with injected with plastic, mm -hmm. and then they make a bunch of them. Well, to make that steel mold in the perfect shape that you want costs tens of thousands of dollars, yeah, thirty thousand dollars or more, and. Um, so the, the infrastructure to start with is very expensive, but what if you don't like that design? Then you have to pay a whole nother $30,000 to create the steel structure. Right. So that's what it's, it's basically. It's not great to print a whole bunch. You wouldn't really, once you have your prototype that you love, yeah. you're gonna want a mold injection because that's more right. cost effective. But if you don't know what style you want, it's great for, yeah. for these rapid prototyping and making all these various designs very quickly. Yeah, fine-tuning some yes. of those designs. <laughs> yeah. for, and it know, gives you an so. opportunity to kind of start from scratch and try yes. something new and have that freedom, that creative freedom to yeah. 
put your heads together and think yeah. something up that might be more effective without having to worry as much about the commitment to the design. Yes. Yeah. Or finding the plastics in Home Depot with the right shape and size that you're thinking of and cutting it somehow and yeah. gluing it all together. Yeah. Arts and crafts. Yeah. <laughs> we do still use the hot glue gun, but it's still our best friend, but not quite as heavily as before. So switching gears just a little bit, um, I mean, it's still related, but tell us what you enjoy most about what you do. Um, well, I guess, so... I love your questions in the podcast when you say, like, what's your typical day? So very briefly, I'll just talk about um, that, yeah, the most part, I work on the Asian citrus salad program uh, to develop traps, and we want to make sure they work. So we test them in the lab and in the field. So I design all those experiments to make sure that we're producing traps that, uh, that work. So a lot of my time is with that and developing these experimental protocols, making sure my lab workers understand what I want them to do. <laughs> and then emailing collaborators. So because this is such a multi-state project, um, and even, like I said, we're developing a volatile, well, that's not even with our collaborators, but it's also with people who want to get rid of citrus greening. And so they're develop they're also working on the Asian citrus salad. So they have an attractant and we just happen to have a trap. Yeah. So there's all these numerous collaborators. It's just it's crazy. I can count eight just right now for this one <laughs> question yeah. uh, and this one trap. So, and then they're looking at this trap is also working with others, working well to catch other psyllids, not just the agents of psyllids. So okay. we have other collaborators looking at, at that. So, so a lot of emails back and forth. And, and also if I have a question, finding the right collaborator to help me because I'm not a chemist and, uh, but I know how to talk to them <laughs> <laughs> and I know who to ask. Um, and writing re reports, maybe making sure we pass this information on to other people. So I guess what I love about my job is just that it's so varied and mm -hmm. that I'm doing something different each day. And then we even have other projects. If I get sick of Asian citrus, then TND has other projects to, to tackle too. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. And just going back on your collaboration comments a little bit, what opportunities does that co collaboration offer and how does that help DPI and kind of our mission of Yeah, yeah, it's um it's it's really good to find people who who can, you know, understand projects from from different different angles and and they know more about, you know, some of our collaborators in California know more about PCR testing and the genetics of identifying the vector that causes citrus screening and um, so that's where where they are part of our collaboration and then where the trap and behavior and field testing so it's really important to bring these people from all different um, perspectives <laughs> or yeah just um, different fields of science I guess oh, yeah. so it's good to bring all these people from all these different fields of science to, together to, to collaborate so, so it opens a lot more yes. doors it yeah. seems like and a lot of people have different experiences like out in California that where citrus greening isn't um, as widespread we are great um, doing well at helping them and get we get their perspective too um, as they study and grow citrus you know we can see how that helps awesome so do you have any hobbies outside of all this cool <laughs> stuff you get to do at work what do you like to do in your free time or at home yeah well I have two uh, kids so it's kind of chasing them they're very young so they're they're one and four years old so it's takes a lot of time but then otherwise I also play um, fiddle in a, in a band 
That's like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Everyone at DPI has all these hidden talents that <laughs> we don't get to share at work. Yeah. But that's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we play contra dances and we have a, a CD out. So. Oh, wow. Oh, very self plug. Yeah. <laughs> We're called Morning Glories. Cool. Hey, yeah. This is so much fun to talk about. <laughs> and I mean, right now you're tucked away in a little trailer on the yes. S side of the property, but you'll be moving soon, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. So. Pretty soon. Yeah. They they said six months ago that it should be, and it's, it's coming along really well. I don't yeah. think there has been any holdups. So. That's awesome. So yeah, Very exciting. Yes. Great future for the 3D printing lab. Yes. Come well, and visit us when we look prettier. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Katrina, for uh, letting us come and talk with you and get to explore the 3D printing lab a little bit. Thank you so much. Continuing our hurricane preparedness series, check out the DPI blog post about preparing your plants for a storm. Blog posts cover a variety of topics and are posted regularly at fdaxdpi.wordpress.com. This is the Division Digest. This month, we are excited to welcome and congratulate DPI employees on their new positions. First, we'd like to welcome Drake Dawkins to the DPI data processing team as our newest programmer. He comes to us from the Department of Corrections and has a degree in computer information systems. Welcome, Drake. We would also like to welcome Sarah Ferguson as the new OPS Laboratory Technician 4 with the CAPS program. She will be assisting with laboratory screening and dis dissection of Lepidoptera for the Old World Bullworm and Tomato Commodity Program. Sarah is a graduate of the Florida Institute of Technology with a BS in General Biology. Next, we'd like to welcome Dr. Jade Allen, a Biological Scientist 1 in the Entomology section. Dr. Allen will be assisting with identifications of Hemeptera as well as data management and museum upkeep for the Florida State Collection of Arthropods. Dr. Allen has a Doctor of Plant Medicine degree and is an authority on toad bugs, a family of Hemeptera. Welcome to DPI. We would also like to announce the appointment of Holly Hughes to Public Information Specialist in the Technical Assistance section. Holly received her Bachelor of Science in Agricultural Education and Communication from the University of Florida in 2017. She has served our division as Information Specialist 2 or Social Media Coordinator for over a year and a half. Holly will be taking on the role of Publications Coordinator, Don't Pack a Pest Assistant Project Manager, and Supervisor of External Communications. Congratulations, Holly! And just a reminder, DPI offices will be closed Monday, September 2nd for Labor Day. We hope everyone enjoys a safe and fun holiday. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at freshfromflorida.com. This podcast was produced in part by Olivia Doyle and Holly Hughes.
Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.